0: Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and as always, I'm joined by the no longer hungry, Kevin Hume, our photo How's editor. What's up, what's up, Kevin? How's it going, man? We just actually heard Kevin's stomach make a little bit of noise. The, the, the mic on his laptop is that powerful. <laughs> um, and uh, here's what it sounded like. Dude, is your stomach growling right now? <laughs> that was my
1: stomach. What the hell? You heard that?
0: I could hear that. Oh, oh my I'm god. so glad that we started recording. I'm gonna i to put that some a little bit late. Wait, I'm gonna put oh that Oh my one god, a bit later. don't do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. Oh I just ate man. lunch.
1: I don't know. It's it's digesting.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, he's a growing boy. Um uh. so uh Kevin, the mopeds are coming. Dun dun, cue the Jaws music. (laughs) Dun dun. I mean, okay. So speaking of Jaws music, that was that like the easiest work of John Williams's life. I feel like like maybe John Williams, the famed composer behind Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, and of course Jaws. I wonder if he was like thinking of John Cage and and John Cage's Four Thirty Three, and was like, "Hmm, that guy didn't (laughs) even. it's, It's a blank piece of paper and composers all over the country are playing his his tune i'm just gonna do a beefy half step put a lot of (laughs) reverb on it a couple of
1: i think it changed (laughs) music in a lot of ways at least you know it it it, it's sort of the defining moment of like that sort of you know fear it defined fear in music form so i think Mm -hmm. it's very revolutionary
0: um okay (laughs) so but what was i i was saying oh okay so the mopeds are coming Revel mopeds revel in it. The revel mopeds are coming to San Francisco. These, um, and these are the most, so this is a ride sharing thing. It's like scooters, but it's more substantial. It's the most substantial ride sharing, uh, like individual form of transport that I've seen so far. They're actually mopeds with seats. Mm-hmm. i've seen razor the razor brand scooters that are uh shareable they mm-hmm. some of those have seats i've seen those around the Bay Area. have you seen these mopeds i i, I guess they're I've in seen, oakland so
1: yeah i've seen rebels around oakland um they've been around i don't know how long they've been around oakland uh but i've seen them around my neighborhood a bit here and there um they look they look pretty good um i know that In SF, Scoot uh, has had those mopeds around for a while, although I see them less and less as they've kind of transitioned over to the more traditional uh, stand-up scooter that everybody's on now. Um, Mm. But Scoot started out by doing those moped ones, I think, back in 2015. Um, That's right.
0: I had forgotten about that.
1: Yeah, so those have been around for a while, and I guess this is going to give them competition in an area that doesn't really have a lot of competition.
0: Well, so these, so these mopeds, um, they have like a more, a more beefy motor, um, for tackling the hills of San Francisco, but, and you, you have to have a driver's license Mm -hmm. and you have to wear a helmet. Um, I guess you're supposed to wear a helmet on the scooters, but I feel like, or no, they changed that. Right. But this one you're going to have to wear a helmet. Isn't that crazy though? That like, in order to get a motorcycle license you have to go to the DMV. And I guess on the motorcycle you have to shift. I don't think there's any I don't think there are automatic motorcycles. So I guess you got to learn how to work a clutch and stuff, but
1: mm.
0: And of course, motorcycles are allowed on the freeway. They go much faster.
1: Right. I'm sure these things are not, you know, legal for the freeway. Yeah. Although <laughs> they'll, I they'll mean
0: probably, they'll end up on the freeway, I'm sure I somebody
1: mean... Somebody has definitely driven those e-scooters on the Bay Bridge before, you know, and gotten pulled over for that.
0: But speaking of the East Bay where the they already have these revels, um, there's a new study out of the – that was conducted in the East Bay which found that people living in wealthier neighborhoods with more expendable income drank more than those living in poorer neighborhoods um, – which kind of like subverts the whole like poor neighborhoods have drinking problems because liquor stores are everywhere. It, it turns out that there are lots of drunks who have homes in the hills and just door dash their booze or <laughs> they buy it at a store. The, the thing I was, I was editing this story and I laughed out loud because the uh, concluding sentence is a quarter of the study's participants told researchers that the store where they purchase alcohol most often was Trader Joe's.
1: Two Go buck Chuck, today. man. Two
0: buck Chuck. <laughs> is it still, it's not two bucks anymore, is it?
1: I I don't know. I don't I don't buy two buck Chuck. But you're Charles Shaw isn't that bad.
0: <laughs> you're an adult, so you don't. <laughs> you like I don't buy two buck Chuck anymore. I know. Um, I think it's more like four dollars now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I haven't bought that wine in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I got to say that when I was younger, I did like TJs because it had these sort of like bargain liquors that um that were still curated in a way like the labels looked cool I remember a vodka specifically um, it was called and I'm gonna butcher this pron- pronunciation I looked it up before we started but monopolova pa- uh it mm-hmm. it was a polish vodka and it had a cool looking logo and it had a cool looking name and the font was cool and I mean, it was okay, <laughs> <Vodka>. <laughs> Um but it didn't look bad on your liquor shelf. Did okay. we, what it, um, Did you? Did you have any? Do you have any go tos at Trader Joe's liquor or otherwise?
1: Um, not typically. I mean, I I always just kind of try to look for a decent wine or a decent uh, six pack of something. Um, I mean, I always just think food? of two buck Chuck. Um, man. Honestly, I don't really shop at Trader Joe's that often anymore. Um, mm-hmm. The mac and cheese. I think their mac and cheese is supposed to be really good.
0: Um, For a while, um, my fiance and I were getting, we got into like buying the pizza dough and making mm-hmm. pizzas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, again, when I was younger and way more broke, I did buy a lot of those frozen meals. Mm-hmm. Um like the pastas, and I would I would heat those up at, at my office in my office microwave. Um, nowadays, when I go to Trader Joe's, and I don't go too too much, but I like their heirloom tomatoes
1: because
0: hmm. heirloom tomatoes at like at like a nice grocer can be really expensive. And I don't know what Trader Joe's does. I'm not asking any questions about their heirloom tomatoes, but they they come in like a three pack, four pack. It's it kind of I think it's by weight, and there's usually like a couple. Sometimes there's just two really big ones you got. I like to find the one that has like three or four like medium size. Uh, and they're good. They're tasty. Way better than those, you know, super bland beefsteak tomatoes that you would get at like a Safeway or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, It's hard to find heirloom tomatoes sometimes at Whole Foods. Um, I do a lot of my shopping there just because my girlfriend and I kind of practice veganism and it's hard to find those products Mm -hmm. uh at stores other than like berkeley bowl or um right other places that have a lot of that so i just find that trader joe's doesn't have exactly a ton of vegan i mean i could be wrong forgive me i i just find that the most amount of products i know of is at whole foods so i just end up paying a lot for food
0: (laughs) yeah oh and i just i remember um what is the name of this? What is the name of this beer? Simpler times. Simpler, <laughs> simpler times. times. Simpler times. So yeah, one of these, one of these, when, when time, in simpler times, Kevin, when I was, again, broke. These were the times when I would like, sometimes if I wanted beer, I would, you know, collect quarters. So simpler times, mm. it was like, this is, and this is like 2010 to 2015-ish, I'm thinking. More or <laughs> close to the 2010 side. And these beers were like, I did the math. They were like 55 cents a beer and they only came in six packs. So like you couldn't get a case of them, but like, still that's like, that's cheaper than that's like Keystone light cheap. Yeah. And I bought me some simpler times and they were terrible. (laughs) Worst beer, like easily the worst beer. Keystone's better. Um, Oh God, uh, that's saying something. What's a bad beer? like like Miller genuine draft is better. Like uh, like, like, uh, like like Bush Bush is better. It, it, these were bad beers. They they had a real funk and I only Oh look, on Beer Advocate there's 68. That's a pretty poor rating. <laughs> I think if you I mean the if you're even remotely close to the 50 range on Beer Advocate, it's a bad beer. Yeah. Because it's like yelp Right, like, right. who's really who's, who's 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 rating this stuff? People who've already had a few, like, it's not that bad? I'll drink it. I'll drink <laughs> it mm. if it's there. It's like pizza; it's got alcohol in it. Pizza's pizza. Pizza. That's what I. Huh? Uh, That's what I think. I think that. I think that the guy from 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 Little Caesars, he says pizza pizza, but sometimes I think he's actually saying pizza. It's pizza. pizza is pizza like pizza's pizza you'll eat it you'll eat it it's bad but you'll eat it uh, i think we definitely have
1: a somewhat snooty reputation around the bay despite not having like yeah. being known for being a culinary region for pizza unlike chicago and new york we definitely have mm. you know bottom of the barrel and upscale and all that stuff i know that there's lots of different options in San Francisco and you know, some of them look really good that I've never just tried just because it's really expensive or a long wait or, you know, just hard to get to, but yeah.
0: And so the, the part you're leaving off is so you end up at little Caesars.
1: Yep. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's <laughs> <the real thing. laughs> My go tos Domino's. I have some fried. Oh God. No. no, no, actually I stopped doing that a while ago. I I've I've, I've, not, I've cut out a lot of I've cut out a lot of poor habits recently. Domino's is one. For a while, man, I had a pizza profile on my phone. <laughs> Domino's It's a one button order, Domino's. Oh, Just open man. your phone and smash your hand on it, and then Domino's appears at your house. Oh. Making some changes. Well, oh. um, and one final note of good news um before we get to the rest of the podcast is the bison cam at Golden Gate Park. Um, currently is up and running and you can, uh, you can, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, it's just a patch of dirt right now. <laughs> but if you want, if you want a little Zen, uh, you can, you can head on over there. We have a story about it on our website and the, the embedded live cam is there. You can look at the bison. I like bison. They're noble creatures.
1: They're super cute and cuddly, but don't get too close. Don't be like those people have you who ever go to been
0: Yellowstone. To- <laughs> I was going to ask, have you ever been to Yellowstone? Have you been no, it's definitely on them?
1: my list. It's definitely on my list. Um, yeah, I really want to. And uh, definitely know that uh, use a telephoto lens if you want to get a picture of a bison because yes. uh, they will gore you. They're
0: burly, They're, man.
1: They are wild creatures and should be treated as such.
0: All right. Well, coming up on the podcast, we have an interview with Chuck Johnson, an Oakland-based uh, multi-instrumentalist who just put out an album um, called Mound of Shards. It is uh, sort of his meditation on actually contracting and, and beating COVID. He'll be the first person I've actually talked to um, who uh, has actually battled COVID. And then we're going to have Ben Schneider, um, our staff writer, talk about his story, Life on Hold, all about how impossible it is to get through to the employment development department and uh, get unemployment right now. Really frustrating to a lot of people. Sit tight. We'll be right back. And we're back with Chuck Johnson, an Oakland-based multi-instrumentalist and minimalist composer with a new album of ambient, synth-driven tunes, which he began recording in March at the beginning of the Shelter-in-Place order and completed during a bout with COVID-19. Welcome to the podcast, Chuck.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So can you tell us about uh, this new album of yours, Mound of Shards?
2: Yeah, um, so during the Shelter-in-Place time, I spent a lot of time in the studio specifically with synthesizers and um, created a set of tracks that I, I think of as like studies for synths and mm-hmm. that um, they're live, you know, they're, they're pretty much recorded as live performances. They're performed primarily on, on three different instruments, the three tracks. Mm-hmm. So each one, I just sort of, you know, went, did a deep dive into each instrument and I approached it like, I guess I would other instruments that I play and that it's um, kind of as a very hands-on performative Sort of approach, and I think the the kind of the live quality, live improvised quality of each track lent itself to this sort of like idea of a study, as as opposed to more like a you know a formally composed, completed piece um, mm. that that would be heavily like edited or arranged in the studio.
0: I'm I'm a fan of ambient music, instrumental guitar music. You know, I'm a big fan of John Fahey, uh the group Mountains, of hmm. um, you know, uh that Fripp and Eno collaboration. Um maybe there were multiples, but uh blanking on the name
2: of it right now. I think no but, pussy footing is someone you're Yes, yeah.
0: yes. no pussy footing. So good. That's right. So um uh, I and I like to I as a writer I have trouble um I have trouble writing. Uh, and editing while there's music with words i you know i'm also a fan of rock music and hip-hop and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but uh, so anyway um i I guess it helps me put put me in the zone in a sense and and that's what i'm building to is it you know it kind of has this meditative quality and you are mentioned you were mentioning that you know you were composing this and and are studying doing these studies um with shelter in place going on the world um you know, if if you pay attention to the news every day, it, it can be easy to fall into despair. And I wonder if um, just just working with these instruments, um, with these synths, um, was was therapeutic, was meditative. Um, can you tell? Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I would say that um, you know it's funny because I I think I especially with lately working with synths and electronic music, it's an outlet that is sort of yeah like therapeutic, I suppose it's a good way to unplug from just this manic uh, news cycle that we're in. It's also it's been for me because I my my main gig is I compose music for films and TV. It's it's a way for me to like unplug from what I'm doing for work that day. But what I noticed after I had recorded a few of these and and sequenced these three into a record was that the 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 sound and the feeling of the of these tracks kind of reflected what my experience of this time has been which is like the feeling of things just being put on hold or suspended while at the same time moving really fast towards some really really completely unknown future you know right um and i just i didn't i didn't like i didn't start recording this music with that in mind but after I played them back and listened to them a few times, I realized, yeah, this is actually the vibe right now for me, <laughs> probably for other people. So, um. yeah,
0: you you also have um, you're you're also known for your work on pedal steel guitar. Um, is this uh, y- and you mentioned that you you do work with um, composing for film? So I imagine this wasn't your first time around a synthesizer, but this might be um, a newer um, mode for you.
2: Oh, yeah. For the last several years, 10 years now, the music I released under my own name has been very centered around guitar. Um, there are three solo guitar records and like acoustic guitar records and a record of, that was more like electric guitar with an ensemble and then kind of gradually moving into this using the pedal steel and sort of like pushing that instrument forward in the mix and making that the focus so I haven't really worked with synthesizers as a primary instrument or voice in a while. I I went to Mills College to study electronic music um from 2007 to 2009. And um I've you know been interested in synthesis for a long time even before that. But uh, yeah, you're right. The la- certainly for the last decade or so it's, my music's been pretty focused on the guitar.
0: And can you can you talk about the what did you find when you when you started uh, twiddling those knobs and um, <laughs> and putting this album together. I mean, what was that experience like for you?
2: I've come full circle musically in a lot of ways in that the last time I was w- working with electronics and synthesis, I was much more in an experimental mode. And I would say much more um, in that lineage of like David Tudor and the, the Mills College Tate Music Center, which has this amazing legacy and history, but that that's that's simply where I was coming from with synthesis, using modular synths for a long time. And um yeah, I've just been having fun with playing with polysynths and instruments that are designed to play in kind of a more tonal way. Mm-hmm. Um so that's finding that pretty gratifying right now. And um I guess it's what I it's what I need to hear <laughs> when I when I'm making music right now. So
0: I think you are the first person that I've spoken with who is, though you're not 100% certain um, you are quite sure uh, that you had um, the novel coronavirus uh, which causes the, the disease COVID-19. Um, yeah. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that, your experience and, and um I guess just tell us about the experience. I I, I want to know what your experience was like because I haven't had the chance to talk to somebody um,
2: yet. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it had been before this that it had been a kind of abstract to me too for the same reason. Like I didn't know anyone personally who'd had it. Mm-hmm. I, I did have I have a friend whose father passed away from it back in New York um, a couple of months ago, kind of earlier in the pandemic. That's about as close as it's gotten to me. But in early June, my partner, Marielle Jacobson, who's also a musician and who I, I make music with under the name Sorry we went to, um, we heard about clinics around Oakland doing free antibodies tests. And we were curious as to whether we'd been exposed to it because Marielle travels a lot. She'd been in Japan late last year and came back pretty sick from that. And anyway, we were just wondering, like, Do we have immunity to it, or you know, have we been exposed? And Mm -hmm. um, this is before we—I think we—we know more about antibodies now with COVID, and yeah. um, But anyway, at the time, we thought that that could give us an idea whether or not we had been exposed, or how you know, like how how risky it is for us to be out and about. We've since the shelter in place, you know, we've been very careful. We've done all the things you're supposed to do, like always wear a mask when we're out, out of the house and we have pretty much all of our groceries delivered and um, avoid indoor spaces pretty much entirely. And when we do see our friends, it's outdoors, you know, at a safe distance. So we do all those things you're supposed to do. Um, but we went to this clinic and they were also offering the active infection test, you know, the nasal, the swab, up your nose test Yeah. at the same time. So we said, sure, we'll do that. You know, we both felt fine. And then uh, a few days later, I got a negative result and Mario got a positive result. And so for a couple of days, we were freaking out, you know, understandably. And just on top of the anxiety about what, you know, what might happen with Marielle, there was this, like we were trying to isolate from each other in the house, which is really hard to do, kind of ridiculous in us that we live in a small house. Right. Um, And so after like three days of that, And just being exhausted from, you know, trying to avoid each other and wearing masks indoors and sleeping in separate rooms and stuff. I talked to my doctor who said, you know, he he consulted an infectious disease expert on staff where he works and said, okay, so basically you should assume that you're infected as well and act Uh accordingly. So, okay. So then we were both in this two-week quarantine period. And I would say within four or five days of that, we both started to experience symptoms. And we had different symptoms. Neither of us had like the um the respiratory symptoms. We a friend let us borrow an oximeter so we could check our oxygen and that seemed fine. No fevers or anything, but for me it it was like uh kind of a debilitating headache and like really bad body ache stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I would associate with a really bad flu or something. I see. Um, and then, uh, and then, like fatigue, I, I would say is the most persistent symptom for me. Just feeling like hitting a wall, like late morning, early afternoon every day, and just basically not being able to function for the rest of the day. Like kind of like really, really bad jet lag. Hmm. So fortunately for us both, that you know that was kind of the extent of it. Nothing too serious. Yeah, after our, you know the the recommended two week quarantine, we had no reason to think that we were still uh, contagious. So we kind of came out of quarantine and went back to our, our kind of baseline, you know, shelter in place uh, way of life.
0: Well, um, if you're a fan of ambient music, uh, Chuck Johnson's mound of shards is uh, an excellent record. Um, you can check it out on Bandcamp. Um Is there, uh, there's a purchase option there. Are, are, is there any physical media uh, Chuck or not right iTunes? now?
2: This was just, um, I just sort of conceived of this as a self-release and okay. um, for, I wanted to time it with the band camp Friday Mm -hmm. month too. So that was sort of the impetus for getting it out there. Um,
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thanks again for joining us um, and uh, be well. Thanks. My pleasure. We're back with Benjamin Schneider, SF Weekly staff writer and author of this week's cover story on the bureaucratic nightmare that is applying for unemployment in the COVID-19 era. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks for having me, Nick. So um, how bad is the
3: the unemployment system in California right now? Well, So I think it's, it's first important to start with just how bad the overall unemployment picture is in California right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to Maurice M. who works at the National Employment Law Project and is a a labor scholar, and he described the current situation as totally unprecedented. Um, Essentially, there's been nothing like this level of unemployment since the Great Depression. Um, California's Economic Development Department, um, also known as the EDD, received about 5 million claims between March and May of this year, um, and it's, it's been many more in the month and a half since then. Um and, and those levels are uh almost tenfold what the the agency received during the Great Recession in 2008. Um so it's just a, a massive explosion in unemployment. Um the state's unemployment rate is currently 16.3 percent. Um it's a little bit lower in the Bay Area, about 13%. Um but again, those numbers are are way above um even the the height of the Great Recession um and are approaching the, the 20, 25 percent threshold that we saw during the Great Depression in the 1930s. So what are some of the system's underlying problems? Well, the EDD system uh, has had a long history of issues with its uh, informational technology and its computer systems and its phone systems. Um, That really came to a head during the last recession, the Great Recession in 2008. Um, And right after that, the agency decided to undergo a, a whole modernization program um, where they intended to replace their COBOL computer system—that's a, a basically 1970s-style um, computer system that they were still running—but um, the problem was when they when they did this um, in 2010, uh, the the overhaul was was partial, um, and what they were left with was a system that today runs kind of half on the COBOL. Computer program and half with modern computer programs, um, so it's not in great technological shape. It's really hard for them to make changes on the fly um, and uh, really fix things when they they go wrong. Um, and on top of that, there have been a lot of controversies with the agency giving a lot of money to the consulting firm Deloitte to fix its systems. Um, and even now, they're they're um, asking for proposals for even more. Uh, tech overhauls i think they're actually trying to totally do away with their 1970 system um, in the next couple of years and they're still looking to deloitte who uh, state auditors have, have criticized in the past for um taking maybe more money than they should have from the edd so there have been a lot of issues with the agency um and that combined with this unprecedented unemployment demand has kind of created a perfect storm where um the agency is just really not in a position to handle the amount of unemployment claims that it's getting.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to let Deloitte or the EDD off the hook here, but I mean, you said this is unprecedented. So um, I'm wondering in your interviews, uh, this is just a massive undertaking, right? I mean, they've made mistakes, but also they're kind of their backs against the wall. Can you kind of talk about those two things a little bit, like where they really went wrong and, and and just, but also how unprecedented this is, and how difficult it really is to to update this this massive system quickly.
3: Yeah, I think um, it's hard to separate sort of where the um, technical failures and manage, managerial failures come into play, and where just the external circumstances come into play. It's it's definitely some kind of a combination. Um, but the the end result is that um, when people um, people who I spoke to are applying for unemployment. Um, and if there's any kind of an issue on your claim, whether it's a misspelled name, um, I spoke to someone who is the victim of identity theft, um, any kind of issue that deviates from the norm of a perfectly clean, easy to process claim, those people are in for a really hard time um, because getting on the phone with an agent to, to solve um, a problem, uh, getting an email or support ticket answered, even getting a, a, print, a mailed Letter answered is just a really long and um, difficult process, Uh, and a number of people I spoke to, even when they did reach people on the phone, um, some of those agents seemed either rude or or inexperienced. Um, One one agent uh, told told one of my sources um, that she didn't even work at the EDD and that she was just there to pick up the phones, and she told my source to just hang up and try again. Um, and this is wow. after being on the phone for hours, waiting on hold. Um, so right. that's the net result of these this combination of factors, is that um, a lot of people in really dire straits are, are waiting um, for hours on the phone and then for, for days and weeks for their unemployment claims to actually get settled uh, and to get that money that they really need to survive.
0: Yeah, and in your story, you talk about people um, calling literally thousands of times um, you, you, what are, what are some of the other most egregious things that, that come to mind? The experiences that people have had?
3: Yeah. Well, another, um, one of the claimants that I spoke to, uh, when, when she reached an unemployment agent, he was complaining to her about the fact that he needed to wear a mask, um, <laughs> on the job. And, uh, obviously that's, that's not the the greatest thing to hear when you're calling because you are broke and are trying yeah. to navigate this faceless bureaucratic system. Um, another um, another claimant I talked to, um, and this is actually true of a lot of claimants, they, they would try workarounds. They would try to contact other folks who are not in the EDD to try to get the EDD to to help them. Um, and so so she called Gavin Newsom's office, um, and she says the second she called Gavin Newsom, or sorry, sorry the second she mentioned EDD, uh, Gavin Newsom's staffer said, nope, we don't do that here. Please uh, call them about that. And I have a feeling that's because uh, Governor Newsom's office has also been inundated with calls. And I think a lot of local assembly members and and local politicians are also um, really feeling the heat from their constituents who are really frustrated by this system. Um, And and essentially, until this caseload kind of starts to dwindle, it's really hard to imagine how system is going to fully recuperate. Um, and I should say that they're they're hiring about 5,000 new employees to help mm-hmm. deal with this demand. Um, but that's kind of a slow process in itself. And it seems like there are issues getting people trained and ready to to actually help out um, all these people who are calling in.
0: What comes next for people struggling with, with the unemployment system?
3: Yeah, well, first, I think it's really important to consider the situation that a lot of people are finding themselves in if they are in fact, unable to, to access their unemployment benefits. I was talking to people who have been without their unemployment benefits um, since the start of the pandemic. And these are, you know, waiters or bartenders, people who um, were let go immediately after the shelter-in-place was called. And and um, now with cases surging again in California, their, their prospects continue to be really bleak for getting another job. So people have been essentially living on... Um, very little money <laughs> in the, in the intervening, um, months. And the, the stimulus check really helped all the people I talked to. Um, but that was a one-time deal and that goes really fast if you're paying rent in the Bay area. Um, so people were, were basically turning to friends, parents, neighbors, looking for the forgiveness of their landlords. Um, and, and thankfully no one I spoke to had a, a evil landlord who kicked them out because they couldn't pay rent during this crazy time. Um, And, uh, you know, I heard stories about people struggling to eat food um, and uh, a lot of emotional distress. I think um, folks are are feeling a lot of anxiety and depression around essentially not being able to support themselves and um, living with this crazy uncertainty. Um, So I think that's the sort of, that's the human impact of this story. Um, And as for where it's going... Uh, again, it's really uncertain. Uh, cases are, are still going up in California and um, Congress is, after the July 4th recess, going to come back and talk about whether to extend this thing called the the PUC, which is the additional $600 a week that people who are unemployed can get during the pandemic. Um, and it really sounds like Republicans in Congress do not want to reauthorize that. So that means people who are on unemployment um, at the end of July, if nothing changes, we'll start earning more than half uh, or, or less than half of what they currently earn from unemployment. Um, and that's going to take a huge toll. I think um, it's a it's a very scary situation for a lot of people um, because they were really only getting by because they had unemployment plus this additional PUC benefit. And that's about to go away, probably. So um, it's a very uncertain, scary situation for a lot of people. And um, the job market is is not looking particularly good either. So it's kind of a, a crisis from all directions.
0: Well, it's a really interesting look into this seemingly intractable problem, uh, Ben. Thanks so much for researching it and writing it, and thanks a lot for joining us on the podcast today.
3: Thank you.